Today is Tuesday, December 13th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. The Twitter Files, the latest installment dropped today. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast with news from a Christian perspective. If you want to get through the news of the cray with someone who shares your values, then go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. Give us a rating, share it with a friend, all that good stuff. Joining me as always to help us get through it, Billy Hallowell, Trey Gons Phillips. What's going on, fellas? Happy uh, Mini Monday. Mini Monday is here, and I am caffeinated (laughs) and carefree. Caffeinated with at least 15 cups of coffee on this Tuesday morning. Just two and a half. Just two and a half. That's all. Oh, good. Well, you're just pacing yourself. That's what's actually happening. Yeah. I'm I'm just wondering when you get the IV and just streamline the process. Right. That sounds great. Direct into my veins. No longer waste time having to pick up a cup. That way you never have to stop typing. (laughs) I have have articles to write and things to do. That's a great idea. And we got a lot coming up on the podcast today as well, including some Christmas miracles happening. A Ethiopian runner who was paralyzed. Incredible turnaround there. Trey will have the details on that. Also, a religious liberty law firm is out with a fascinating new survey assessing Americans' views on the First Amendment. Billy's got the details on that one. Uh, but first, we are going to get through the news in 90 seconds. And the fifth Twitter release of the Twitter files hit today when Barry Weiss dove into the banning of uh, former President Trump's Twitter account. And she went through a detailed analysis. If you haven't seen this, this is the um, behind the scenes that Elon Musk has been um, giving out to a handful of reporters here to put on Twitter to show what happened during uh, the previous ownership of Twitter. And on the morning of January 8th, President Donald Trump at the time had one remaining strike before being at risk of permanent suspension. And he tweeted twice. One of them was that tweet that said 75 million great American patriots who voted for me, America first and make America great. We'll have a giant voice long into the future. And he went on, but uh, also tweeted that he wasn't going to the inauguration on January 20th. Um, And then you could see they wanted to, uh, on the internal Slack messages, Twitter employees wanted to ban Trump over this tweet. But when it was reviewed, they found that there was no incitement to violence in this tweet, which is quite obvious from reading the tweet. But these people, about 300 or so inside, just kept pushing for it to be banned. When it was reviewed, uh, the people who reviewed it said, no, there is no reason to ban here. But they went ahead and banned it anyway. Fascinating stuff. You can read about this story and more over at CBNNews.com. Guys, I wanted to dive into this for a couple more minutes. Um, Didn't have time to get through it in that segment there. But I wanted to continue this because this is a fascinating behind-the-scenes look. And if you're looking for the full Twitter release, you can check out Barry Weiss's uh, Twitter thread. We'll put the link here in the uh, show description of this podcast. But there was this intense disagreement on the Slack channel. And you had 300 or so that, and it was reported by the Washington Post at the time, they wrote a letter and it was signed by this Twitter staff and it was published that they all wanted this account banned. But when the Twitter staff that was assigned to evaluate it looked at it, they quickly concluded that Trump had not violated Twitter's policies. Now, you remember, they also had a looser standard for world leaders because they wanted to keep world leaders on there. And just to verify this, you can look at how other leaders were handled within Twitter at the time. In June of 2018, Iran's Ayatollah Khomeini 
tweeted that Israel is a malignant cancerous tumor in the West Asian region that has to be removed and eradicated. It is possible and it will happen. Twitter neither deleted the tweet nor banned the Ayatollah. So this is, they have a high level of tolerance for world leaders because they wanted them for, for better or worse to be out there and to be heard from. So that, then you have this tweet from, from former President Trump and all these Twitter employees are calling for them to be banned over it, which they quickly decided, no, he shouldn't be banned for this. But so then it heats up. Now the people are more upset. Jack Dorsey holds a town hall type meeting within Twitter that doesn't go well with these people. They're still angry. They get more upset and they keep calling for it. Um, despite them saying, no, we didn't find anything. And literally hours later, Twitter announced Trump's permanent suspension, quote, due to the risk of further incitement of violence. So really just remarkable stuff. And you can read the full blow by blow account on Barry's Twitter thread. So guys, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I mean, it's just, it's what everyone suspected and said was happening at the time that they were just sort of making these decisions because not, not based on their policy or, you know, trying to be consistent, but because they just didn't like Trump. Well, yeah. And I think the bigger, broader question, right? Everybody's, you know, angry and upset about this understandably because everybody knew it was happening. They were all called conspiracy theorists. Yeah. You know, I feel like I'm being shadow banned and everyone's yeah. like, that doesn't exist. And, you know, and so the, we know we knew this was happening. I think for me, the part of this that <clears throat> it's a little bit of a different focus on the conversation, but you have a situation in which you've got bakers, all these other business owners who are going to court fighting for the right to like not make an individual cake, not do this thing. Yeah. And the, the left, a lot of people on the left have gone after those people. But yet when it comes to a massive, powerful social media platform, the same argument is being used by the left. Well, what does it matter? It's a private business. They can do what they want. That to me is a really interesting uh, disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too, that Twitter has become Twitter's own worst enemy or that's what it, what it became over the years uh, because so often we see corporations that are listening just to Twitter and, and the few really loud um, users who are making some sort of fuss about something like target uh, removing a book because of a one tweet. I think Twitter ultimately kind of succumbed to the same, that same issue, right? Is that they didn't want to deal with this woke mob of 18 Twitter users who have blue check marks saying something. So in order to not deal with that or to not deal with the bickering internally, they'll just make decisions willy nilly, but they don't, they go through a normal process if they're doing it with more progressive yeah. or left-leaning people, but with conservatives, the rules just don't apply. It's like, well, if this will, if it'll, if it'll make people quiet, we'll just go ahead and do it. Yeah. I just, think, and I think this is a bigger problem, a bigger trend that you're seeing um, frequently with um, a lot of activist types on the left. It, it, it doesn't seem like they want to have a robust conversation where disagreements are included. It seems the knee-jerk reaction is always to ban or silence or you know, get them shunned from society. That that seems to be the common theme, and I think that's a dangerous step, dangerous road to go down. In fact, uh, one of the employees um, on Twitter, there were a few dissenting voices in there, and one of them said, "Maybe because I'm from China, I deeply understand how censorship can destroy the public conversation." And they quickly kind of jumped in and said, oh, I, I, I you know, I, I hear where you're coming from, but this is we're not the government. We're not shutting it down. But Twitter is definitely but a they unique. they kind of are. Well, they, and they are. And they were getting pressure from the government 
They were also, that's what we were. They were right. So, so can we, we have to do a segment on this at some point and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think no, because this, this question of social media and how powerful social media really is, you know, nobody wants to talk about regulation. We, you know, a lot of people don't like regulation, but the reality is when, when a company becomes so powerful and so large, which I think Facebook and Twitter fit under that category. Instagram, you know, some of these companies that are so pervasive in the American conscience in day in and day out, and not just in America, all over the world, you have a real question to ask, what happens with this? How? I'm not saying we should regulate it, but I'm saying the question has to be asked, how do we deal with it when one group of people is being disallowed right. on the platform, essentially? Right, when the platform gets that yeah. big, there is there is more weight and more meaning that comes when you disallow somebody on that platform just because of how big it is. It's like booting them out of the well, town square. Yeah. And I think it's ironic that Twitter, the entire premise of Twitter was the celebration of free speech. <laughs> uh, and they're the, the biggest, uh, the biggest criminals ag against their own, yeah. uh, their own perceived, or, you know, at least what they said was their intention. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's, it's just interesting. And, and, and the, the frustration, I think the meltdown that people are having uh, over these Twitter files being shared over Elon Musk being yeah. the owner now, like, I don't think conservatives are really surprised by anything that's coming out. They may feel a sense of vindication, uh, but it is kind of just funny to see the it's, curtain being pulled back and everything that yeah. we knew was true. Uh, at least we thought was true is actually being shown to have definitely been the case. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just a fascinating look under the hood. It really is. Even if you're not on Twitter, yeah. I think it gives you a look into the mindset of a growing number of people out there who would rather just not hear from people. They'd rather silence them. And I think as that one person in Twitter commented that the problems with silencing speech um, as you know, you can see how far it can go in places like China. And that person sounds like they had some personal experience with that and it's not pleasant. So yeah, definitely a conversation to continue and they're going to keep putting out these Twitter files. So uh, we will, uh, we'll report on it as it happens, but we're going to move into our next story here. And uh, a paralyzed runner has quite an incredible Christmas miracle to tell. What's the details here, Trey? Yeah, so uh, Naomi Begali, she's an Ethiopian runner. Uh, she was still in Ethiopia when she actually injured herself the first time. Uh, she hurt her Achilles tendon. Uh, she ultimately actually lost a partnership that she had with Nike. Uh, so she decided to travel to the United States uh, to essentially reinvent herself, to restart her career. Uh, she moved by herself to Colorado. Uh, she said because of the great climate, she would have access to the best equipment and trainers the world has to offer. Uh, she actually ended up being in her best physical shape of her life uh, until she was riding in a car when the vehicle was hit. Uh, she ended up breaking her back. She suffered a severe spinal cord injury, and that left her body completely paralyzed. She couldn't even stand, much less walk, obviously. Uh, doctors told her that it was unlikely she'd ever walk again. And even if she did, uh, they said that it would take at least two to three years before she maybe, and it was a big maybe, uh, regained any level of mobility. Hmm. So she's also been pretty open about her faith. What has she said and, and what happened uh, here with the with the actual turnaround? Yeah, so she's not been shy at all about her Christian beliefs, actually. Uh, she said during a recent interview with CBS uh, that it was a dream that she had that gave her the confidence uh, of knowing that she would walk again, which she actually just did. Mm. She took her first steps uh, just seven months after the accident that left her completely 
paralyzed. Uh, So of that dream, she said, I saw Jesus on my bed in a dream and God was taking my hands uh, and Jesus healed me. Uh, She later added, God is good. God is great. Uh, It's unbelievable, obviously, that Begali is already walking again yeah. uh, when doctors were were really not certain <laughs> she talked to several several doctors who told her that was very very unlikely and seven months later uh, she's already starting to walk again obviously it's been a process she said that she felt kind of like a baby because she said i used to exercise to get myself into peak physical condition to compete she said now i'm exercising and doing these rigorous workouts just so that I can learn to walk again. Mm. Uh, but she's giving all the credit to God. She said, I'm working hard, but I do believe more in miracles. Uh, a miracle. She said, the science doesn't prove it, talking about uh, miraculous things that happen. She said, and the doctors never imagined it would happen. Nobody could imagine it happening. Uh, so in an interesting piece of her story too, uh, this is so since she came to the U.S. on an athletic visa, and then she wasn't able to run. Uh, she didn't have any health care and she didn't have anywhere to live. So she was actually on the verge of homelessness on top of being severely injured. Uh, but local charities there in Colorado, they paid her medical bills. And then a couple in Aurora, Colorado, actually took her in to live with them briefly. Uh, so the Lord's been providing for her in all kinds of incredible ways. That is very cool. What uh, what does she have in store for the future? What's she looking to, to do? Yeah. She's super optimistic. Uh, she's not giving up running at all. Uh, she said that she's she's working hard to learn how to walk again to get her you know regular routine mobility back. And she said if the Lord can heal her enough to walk again, He will for sure help her run again. Wow, that's fantastic. I love that she's giving the credit to God because I know a lot of times people can get in these situations, and she's obviously doing a lot of hard work, a lot of therapy, and it could be very easy to just kind of just credit that part of it and and not look back and and thank god for you know this healing yeah yeah absolutely it's it's incredible the that she's putting her faith front and center not only that she's putting it front and center but that she's talking to mainstream outlets right like cbs and local news stations yeah. and she's being really bold about her faith which is encouraging well and these outlets too you know i, I think a lot of times you know we give them grief and, and rightfully so many times but but in this case you know it's hard to deny a case like this when something like that happens and so it's cool to see them pick these stories up run with them and cover them right yeah. uh because we we wouldn't have heard about her story probably had they not been willing to do it. So yeah, no pun intended there, right? Billy Ryan <laughs> with the story. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. But, sorry, uh, sorry about that. But, I'm the only not dad here on staff, and I made a dad made joke. A dad joke that yeah. was that was the daddest of all dad. Jokes, yeah. <laughs> but I love that though when the media is kind of forced to reckon with the there's no other explanation, right? It's just kind of like, well, there it is. How do you explain that? Cancer disappears. You know somebody finds miraculous strength and like lifts a car off somebody, uh, all that kind of stuff. You think how, well, how in the world? And you know, you just, you can't help but think of scripture and all the times, you know, God intervened in certain circumstances and you see angels being sent here and there. You, you just, you kind of get the uh, curtain pulled up when you're reading the Bible and you see a lot of times that spiritual realm that we just lose track of a lot of times here on earth and you realize, no, that is a real thing. And that is, you know, at times, yeah, I'm sure there are interventions happening. And um, it's great to see somebody, like I said, crediting crediting God for that. You can read that full story over at uh, faithwire.com. Trey, thanks for bringing that one. So we're going to head into the main thing now. And a religious liberty law firm out with a fascinating new survey. They're taking a look at Americans and how they view the First Amendment. 
Well, Billy's got the details on that for today's main thing. Today, we're sitting down with Darren Jurdick, the Strategic Research Associate for the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. Beckett is out with the 2022 Religious Freedom Index. This is a comprehensive report that details Americans' views on the First Amendment. Let's dive right in. So let's talk about the Religious Freedom Index. What exactly does this measure when it comes to the First Amendment? Uh, yes, the Religious Freedom Index, uh, every year we do a survey of 1,000 nationally representative Americans. And we ask some questions about the First Amendment. We ask some questions about religious freedom. We ask some really questions about the intersection of religion and culture. And that's what we want the index to provide insight on. Um, we, we measure, we do a snapshot every year of Americans' attitude. And so we're able to kind of track any changes that may occur. And we're really kind of looking for looking at this as something that can inform people when they're you know, thinking about the big questions of the, of the year, uh, you know, culturally or politically, uh, that they can, they can turn to the index for some insight into what Americans think about the intersection between uh, religion and the rest of society. Well, and it's particularly important in light of, obviously, the First Amendment having a massive impact on Americans' lives. And a lot of our legal battles of late have centered in some way on the First Amendment. And in fact, a Supreme Court case heard on Monday about a graphic designer and her religious liberty also centers on the First Amendment. So it's incredibly important. Now, I want to talk about the positives and the negatives in terms of what was found in this most recent wave of the survey. Let's start with the most encouraging findings. What were some of the things uh, that, you know, when the results were in, it was sort of like, okay, this is good. The American public is understanding maybe the First Amendment. So I'm glad you mentioned 303 Creative um, because we actually ask a question uh, on a similar hypothetical scenario where you've got a website designer who's asked to design a website for a same-sex wedding and she has to decline because of her faith. And we ask Americans if they you know, thought that should be allowed or not, essentially. Um, and we, what we found is that about 70% of Americans uh, supported the website designer. And so I, I, one of the things that I was really pleased with looking at this report is that we asked Americans some pretty tough questions, not just general questions like, do you support religious freedom, but, you know, specific ones about these specific instances. And a lot of the time they actually came away with, with good support on, on pretty tough questions that are very controversial. So I was very pleased with that. Yeah, I mean, seven in 10 people supporting that individual. That's very, very interesting. You know, one of the things I've found is when you talk about these issues and you talk about the bakers and others there's sometimes a visceral reaction among some, some where they're like, oh, they have to provide that service. You know, they, they can't, you know, because it's not presented in that First Amendment sort of framework. But when you start to ask different questions, too, and you start to get into, well, what if an atheist were asked to do this thing or that thing? Or what if another person, maybe an LGBTQ printer, were asked to print anti-gay flyers? Or you start to get people paying attention. Um, so it's actually really interesting to me that that statistic was so high for that very specific example of the of the website designer, that is, that is really really intriguing. Were there any other ones along those lines that you thought were were interesting? Uh, yes. Well, one of the thing the other things that we we noted was there's a lot of support for Native Americans, um, and this is something that I think isn't actually discussed very often in in our in our culture. Uh, but we ask a question about. Uh, preserving Native American sacred sites, because Native Americans often worship in the outdoors. They don't necessarily uh, go to, you know, like a church or a temple. Uh, and so a lot of these sacred sites that they've worshipped at for generations, uh, from, from time immemorial, are now on federal land, and they're not necessarily always well protected there. 
So we ask Americans, uh, you know, their, their opinions on that, whether they thought these sites should be protected or not. And nearly 90% of them said that they thought that they should. And the amount of people who strongly agreed that these sites should be protected, uh, 57%, was almost 20 times the number of people who you know, strongly opposed protecting these sites at, at a kind of meager 3%. And, and what I think that that shows is that Americans have good uh, impulses, even on something that's maybe not part of the national conversation every day. Um, Americans still have these good reflexes and impulses towards religious liberty, which is very heartening. It is. It is. And, and I think it's particularly interesting to look at maybe some of the areas of alarm or maybe alarm is the wrong word. But, you know, we're talking about these positives. What were some things in the survey findings that made you sort of pause or say, huh, what exactly is going on here? So one of the things that that we found, I think, the most, um, you know, giving us cause for 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 pause, as you said, was we ask Americans uh, to what degree they think uh, religion is part of the solution or part of the problem in the issues that our nation faces today. And this year, only 50%, so half of Americans, thought that religion was part of the solution to, to the issues our country is facing. Uh, last year, that was over 60%. So that was very interesting um, and, and unexpected. But we also found that only about half, you know, the same, the same percentage, 50% of Americans uh, thought that they had a, you know, like a strong or a complete um, understanding of the the good things that religion had done for society, and so what 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 I see there is a real opportunity for education um, to kind of you know fill people in, bring them up, up to speed on the good things that religion does, not just for the individuals but also for society as a whole. I think there's a real opportunity there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too, and I, I know this is sort of, you know, it, it's hard to directly tie any of this to the data, but I think 2022 was an intriguing year because of Roe v. Wade being overturned and the Dobbs decision and a lot of rhetoric and discussion about the role of religion in government. And you know, these things always exist, but I think they really percolated this year because of that. And so I'd be really intrigued to see what those numbers are next year um, or or if there is any tie, you know, with with that issue, because people were very literally, you know, many people blaming, you know, religion for that. Right. For Dobbs. And so it's it's definitely an interesting element of, of all of this. I know there was also a stat that stuck out to me that 47 percent correctly identified freedom of religion as protected under the First Amendment. That seems kind of low to me. That's right. That that's not what we consider a, a passing grade. Free speech was very popular. About eighty five percent of Americans, uh, you know, correctly placed free speech in the First Amendment. But like you said, you know, less than half of Americans could could correctly place free exercise of religion there. And and what I think is very interesting uh, is that the numbers didn't improve dramatically with education. We found that only fifty one, so you know, barely half of Americans with postgraduate degrees could correctly place that. And I mean, you know, that's the most educated people in our society. Uh, so, you know, what, whatever's going on that's kind of causing that gap there, uh, you know, education doesn't really seem to be helping it very much. That was just some of our conversation about the Religious Freedom Index. You can go to beckettlaw.org slash index for more on the latest research. 
All right, Billy, thanks for that conversation. And that leaves us with time for a one last thing today. Yeah, it's Proverbs 4.26. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. And it just kind of reminds me, I mean, it's such a great visual, like making sure you're walking and that you know what's in front of you, you know what's on the path in front of you, because we all know what happens when we're not looking. Uh, yeah. It's easy to trip. <laughs> yeah. <And> so, <laughs> yes, we see it everybody. Spiritually, I think it's just a great. Right, every yeah. day. Spiritually, we're the people staring at our phones as we're walking into everybody and bumping into them on the street. But it is true, though. It's a great reminder to be intentional about what you're doing on all the things that you're doing because you can, it can kind of swallow you up, like the world and just the, the ways of the world and just little things that aren't really necessarily bad in and of themselves. But then when you just compile them and they kind of keep compiling and they expand and next thing you know, it's all around you and you're, you know, it, you're doing a whole bunch of pointless things that aren't really glorifying God. So... A good reminder for sure. Yeah. yeah, and I think we mystify God's will, right? We make it so much more complicated yeah. than it needs to be. I think the Lord's will is just doing the next right thing that's in front of you. Because if you're a believer, more often than not, we know the right thing to do, right? If we're, we're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and even if it's not a big, like there are big deal things, and then there are not big deal things. Uh, just make the right decision or step into what you feel, what you know through good, wise counsel is the right decision. And trust the Lord and yeah. honor God wherever you are. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And uh, and if you're torn on something, it's like there's a great book called Just Do Something. And it's it's by yeah. a Christian author. I forget his name. But he was just talking about, look, you're not going to – it's not a choose your own adventure and God's not going to be with you if you go the wrong way. Exactly. Like you said, make the yeah. right choices and just keep doing the next best thing you can. So, all right. That's a good place to leave it for today. As always, Lord willing, in that creek don't rise. We'll be back here tomorrow with more. God bless. See you then.